Hey, welcome back. This episode is long overdue for my two guests. It's about our fathers and a father's betrayal. Now, I think of Ephesians, honor thy father and mother. I think of my own biological father who my mother informed me was in prison at the time of my birth. I think of finding out later in life that he was a criminal and a drug dealer in Kansas City. When my brother ended up meeting him, his path into darkness took a turn for the worse because he was already using drugs and whatnot. And it just goes to show how much influence a father can have on a child's life. I have found myself in a more father figure role and realize how much of an impact all my words and actions have on the people around me and the people that look up to me. So it's really important to be a good father, to be a good parent, and to do everything to raise your child with with the proper care and advice and direction. And the argument of nature versus nurture, I think nature can win out a lot of the time, but nurture can destroy. My first guest finds out a secret about her father that he can no longer keep. Just a forewarning, my, my guest covers some sensitive topics, which might not be safe for work. Thank you so much for making it today. It was all the times we were suggesting it was like 2.30 in the morning for me. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to work. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Just so you know, we live next to a winery, so you may hear some gas guns going off. It's not a shooting. It's <laughs> trying to keep birds off the grapes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's what people use guns for over there. <laughs> yeah, not many people use guns, but oh, occasionally we're here next door trying to shoot a fox or, or a rabbit or something. That's interesting. Um, I guess before we start do you want to just go into like your childhood and then bring up your father i guess so i'll just give a bit of background of how it all evolved and where it fits in my life Mm -hmm. i guess we can do that so i guess i'll just start out by saying this was over oh it was about 20 gosh (laughs) i can't do maths as you know from the time thing no problem this was many, many, many years ago. We'll just say that. So yeah. I, I'm a bit sketchy on on the details, but I definitely remember the experience and going through it and the major things that happened. Mm-hmm. I'm the youngest of four children, youngest by 10 years from the next one. So I was a quote-unquote miracle, yeah. <laughs> not a surprise. <laughs> and, um, yeah, grew up in a very white, middle-class probably you'd say well-off family, went to Catholic girls' school, private school, and my parents separated when I was about 11 or 12, and I stayed with mum in the family home and then, you know, see dad every now and then as you do, and he was still financially involved in supporting us with the mortgage and my education, mm-hmm. etc. And then I think it was when I was finishing up at school, so I would have been 17 or 18, there was a school concert and I was in the choir and the orchestra and Dad was supposed to come and he didn't show up. 
And because this was in the late 80s, 87, 88, no mobile phones or anything then, back in the dark ages. Mm-hmm. So we thought, oh, well, whatever, he's sick or forgotten or whatever. And then after that, we tried to contact him and basically couldn't find him. <laughs> oh. Didn't know where he was or where he was up to. We started to obviously become concerned. Uh, he was an accountant and it was from there that somehow I can't remember whether it was us that reported him as missing or some other way the police became involved and it soon became evident that there was shenanigans afoot (laughs) and yeah we slowly started to find out what had been happening. So he's been missing for weeks now and before the police found him he had been missing for months he was missing for a long time I mean, obviously in Australia. Um, we were living in Melbourne at the time and we were on the front page of the paper because he wasn't paying mortgage or anything like that anymore. So it was like, you know, have you seen this man? Where is he? And the police wanted us to publicise because I think by then they were they had worked out that there'd been some sort of embezzlement or something going on in terms of him being an accountant. Mm. So they obviously wanted to find him. Yeah. Was he in cahoots with other people or just stealing (laughs) this is is where it gets juicy (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) apparently he was in cahoots with my mother's best friend um criminal cahoots and possibly interpersonal cahoots (laughs) probably (laughs) as well so that was a part of it as well i guess for my mum not you know not only the fact that now she was financially in in trouble and we were risk of losing the house etc that her best friend Mum and Dad were friends with this couple and they all went to church together on Sunday, etc. And I think she and Dad were involved and it turned out she was sort of helping to hide him out down in a hotel on the outskirts of Melbourne. Yeah. Mm. So uh, who was he, I guess, embezzling from? Well, that was one, one of the things that's difficult. When you've got accountants and lawyers and things in the family or as a friend, often you turn to them for professional advice and and assistance. So basically his clients had trusted him with their savings or retirement money or whatever, then, um, yeah, a lot of that was gone. He was probably involved in some other shadiness as well because he was living in a flat in Melbourne and, of course, he wasn't paying the rent for that and the electricity got turned off and we were the family that he had so we had to go and clean out the flat and with the fridge that had been turned off for months or weeks or whatever with no electricity and when you saw a couple of bullet holes in the window you started to think hmm (laughs) (laughs) obviously um yeah this he's been involved in some stuff that we didn't know about for a while yeah but he didn't take anything from your mother really he didn't oh no i don't think so no Like I said, he kept financially supporting the family. But once you realise where some of that money might have come from, you you have very mixed feelings about that. Like I don't feel guilty because I didn't know it was happening and, you know, I was probably 15 or 16 or or younger when it all started and he wasn't living with us then. But, yeah, you do sort of wonder and feel a bit bad about the fact that maybe you in some way benefited from some of that money. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because now it's 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 not blood money, but it's obviously you, you assume that most of the money that he had was stolen or it, it not ill-gotten gains. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So 
when when you he was with your mom i mean obviously you were very young but mm. your mother had no inkling that he was involved in this or anything it was all very surprising no i oh, look not that she's told me and you know i don't know if she would have at that stage but i know when he didn't show up to that concert and we sort of realized that he was missing and the police became involved my recollection of it was that we were just like oh can i swear yeah, you can swear all you want. <laughs> we were just like, holy shit. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I, you know, she may have, I don't know, she may have had inklings about perhaps him having an affair or something like that, but not that she shared with me. Mm-hmm. Wow. So after this all goes down, do you ever get to talk to him about it? Well, I remember I was walking home from uni one day from the bus and mum was talking to one of the neighbours and she just shouted out, they found your father. And I'm like, oh, that's good. And she's like, yeah, he's in jail. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So I'm like, oh, well, he's alive and he's safe, I guess. (laughs) But um, Okay. So I I very clearly remember that moment. (laughs) And I think we, we had advice from the police basically not to be in touch with him because of some of the people he had been dealing with. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty scary. And again, you have very mixed feelings because it's your dad and, but you know, he's done something wrong and people have suffered because of what he's done. And part of you wants to be really, really angry with him. And part of you wants to just give him a big hug and say, well, I'm still your daughter and I still love you. But yeah, we definitely had advice not to be in touch with him. So no contact after this all goes down? And... Well, no contact for several years. So he, he did go to jail or prison, so same thing in Australia. Yeah. It's a synonym. I think they're different over there. Yeah. Anyway. Um, jail is more or less a, uh, a holding yeah. cell or it's possible that you get a, you know, a, a, a jail sentence for more minor crimes that are like yeah. one year or less, whereas prison is the longer term. Yeah, so I suppose you'd say he went to jail. He went to the remand centre. And I remember being 18 or 19 and going in there to visit him, which was quite an experience. You you go in there and you get the metal detector and the pat down and you sit in a room full of other male criminals in your dress that you've worn to go and meet your dad. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) looking back, I'm like, Jesus, why did I wear those clothes? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, what as an 18, 19 year old girl, I'm like, oh, I'll put on my nice dress to go and see dad. It's mm-hmm. like, Emma, perhaps not a good idea. And then he was released. And yeah, we were advised not to have contact with him. And I was working in a hospital at the time. And he was in that hospital having surgery. So it was, <laughs> I sort of have to say to my colleagues, can you just go and scout the corridor and was sort of dodge dad for a week or two when he was in there. And um, had to try and work my way around with the hospital without running into him. Mm-hmm. But we were in contact in terms of he knew where we were living and, and that sort of thing and where I was working. So every every year on my birthday, he respected that decision, but he'd send a fax on my birthday saying, happy birthday, love dad. And so that was quite sort of bittersweet. And then after a few years, um, my sister and I, my sister who's 10 years older than me, We sort of said to ourselves, he's getting older and we really don't want him to to die without being back in contact with us. So we re-established contact with him many years after all this happened. Uh My brother never did um, until my dad passed away a few years ago and my brother saw him in hospital when he knew that he wasn't going to be around for much longer. But my sister and I had re-established contact for 
quite a few years before he passed away. Now, when you reestablished contact with him, had he turned his life around? Was he still doing criminal things? Could you tell? Couldn't tell. There was a quote-unquote friend he had made in prison. Mm. It was dodgy as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) They usually are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Funny about that. Yeah, we weren't very happy with that. And I think that guy in the end, Dad, ceased contact with him because he was still involved in some not good things. But as far as we knew, look, it was actually... Again, when I say sad, you know, Southern Bill might say, well, serves him right, he deserves it. But he basically, he lost all his money. He was living on the old age pension in a one-bedroom flat in a not a very good part of town. And like I said, it's, you know, it's sad to think back of what he could have had in his life. But I guess people will say you reap what you sow. So. Yeah, and, and who knows? I mean, did you ever find out how much he had stolen or how many people he had stolen from? <laughs> No, look, my mum has kept very meticulous records of all of that stuff and I yeah, I never really asked her. Um, in some ways I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I just remember her saying that family friends that had trusted him with their money were in touch with her saying, well, you know, where is it? And she's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Mm. I, uh, my, my father was... Uh, I never met him when I was growing up. I I heard that he was in jail or prison at the time of my birth. So oh. my mom left him at that time. Uh, so growing up, every time I asked about who my biological father was, I was told that he was either dead or in prison. <laughs> yeah. And I, I uh, wasn't until I was, I think, 13 years old, maybe 12 or 13, I don't remember, he found out that he was very much alive and not in prison, yeah. but mm. he definitely was a criminal <laughs> and yeah. he was a, uh, a big time marijuana dealer in the Kansas mm. City area. Uh, I don't know what other drugs he might have sold, but I just know that he grew marijuana in his basement or in a basement. I don't know if it was his basement. But he had multiple properties that he would grow it in and then distribute. And I I finally got around to meeting him because my brother, who was uh, pretty much a a drug abuser at the time, was hanging out with him. And I got to meet him finally. And I I didn't have any connection with him because, you know, Uh. he didn't raise me. Uh, He seemed like a nice enough guy, but... I, I really appreciate that my mom did shelter me from that. <laughs> and uh, yeah. she had remarried another man named John who did adopt me and my brother and my sister. So I call him my dad and not my stepdad, but because, yeah. you know, he raised me. And... My mom's never remarried and it, it was quite awkward too, because mm-hmm. she, I mean, obviously this had a huge effect on her. And it's almost like now her identity is the, the survivor and the, the moral one, you know. Yeah, yeah. And she still will talk a lot about him. And and it, it's difficult because I actually got along a lot better with my dad than I did with my mum, mm-hmm. just personality-wise, yeah. um, when we reestablished contact. And, you know, I, I'd see my mum and she'd sort of, I remember when your dad did this, remember, and I, I got actually quite, 
bored with it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I was there. Yep. <laughs> and then I'd go and see Dad and and we'd have really in-depth conversations about things or he'd be really proud of things that I'd done or whatever and focused a lot on me. So, I, again, I had this conflict about I feel bad about not feeling better about my mum given what she went through and, again, what she sheltered me from and, and did for me. Mm-hmm. And then my dad's totally fucked her over and other people and been in jail and stuff, but I actually enjoy spending time with him more. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was just this real conflict about, oh, I sh- that shouldn't be the way it is. I'm do- am I doing something wrong there? But it's just how it was. Well, it's not a black and white world where you just have good guys and bad guys and yeah. it's your father you still care it's your family and you do get along with him so you see the the goodness you see the good side of it mm. and that's that's all that matters really to you uh, you know i i always hate reading internet comments and whatnot where people <laughs> are just like oh that person deserves the worst of yeah. the worst and i and i think well yeah probably but there are people out there that do care about that person too. Yeah, yeah. And I see news stories now about people being sentenced. And usually my first reaction is, how sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I get angry that people do horrible things, but um, but my mind sort of goes to, I wonder how that happened or how, why they felt they had to do that or mm-hmm. who they're leaving behind as opposed to perhaps some other people, like you say, who just go, oh, they're scum of the earth and let them rot in jail kind of thing. I think, yeah, well, they deserve to be punished or mm-hmm. consequences of their actions. But, yeah, my first thought normally is just how sad <laughs> that it's yeah. come to that for, for them and their family. Yeah, and I'm, it just depends on the crime and, and the heinousness. Yeah. But for the most part, I, I always know that there's two sides of this. There's the person they victimized, and then there's mm. the family of said perpetrator that's mm. pretty much been victimized too because now they're going to you know be left behind. You know, whether it be mm. fatherless or motherless, they're they're losing a family member when they when something like that yeah. happens. One of the things I think that prompted me to contact you was I think it was on Gen Y. I'm wearing my Gen Y t shirt, by oh, the way. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> when you I think you were talking about Dennis Rader and his daughter, cause Stephen King was gonna write a book or something. Yeah. And his daughter saying we're victims too of, of him. And mm. I thought yeah, you know, my life changed when Dad did all this. But then again, I also may have benefited in some way financially from what he did. So, again, it's that real, like you say, it's not black and white. <laughs> Lots of mixed feelings about, about what happened. And, again, just thinking it's just really sad for everybody. Yeah. And that's mm. and that's the problem. And I remember I did the other episode on Gen Y where I talked to uh, Samantha, who mm. her husband ended up being – you know, a drug dealer with yeah. like a biker gang and, and I heard, um, yeah, that resonated with me as well. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's, she can't choose who she falls in love with. And when she found out, Oh, this is way more serious, way more crazy than I thought she hightailed it out of there. She, yeah. you know, she got her kids and she left. Uh, but of course, uh, you know, there's always people that are very judgmental and, definitely do not sympathize with this situation and i feel like a lot of people live in very sheltered bubbles and yeah i'm glad that they live a perfect life where they never have to deal with you know addiction or death or whatever but yeah the rest of us do and and we have to deal with it and um 
turning a, 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 judgy, yeah. a judgmental eye to us doesn't really help. <laughs> yeah, and I think too when I was at university and, and my dad was in jail, I remember one of the um, lecturers had a, a patient who they were seeing in jail and they said, oh, we want someone to um, come and practice conversations with them. And I said, oh, I'll do it. Been there, done that. <laughs> I know the drill. And everyone else in the class was like, oh, my God, like, you know, go into a jail. Are you yeah. serious? <laughs> I'll get murdered or raped or whatever. And I'm like, nah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'll do it. I was doing a side job for a while where I was doing uh, computer work. And I went to this, uh, I guess it was a metal shop. So I'm in there and there's a bunch of guys and they're working with machines and whatnot. And I didn't know, but they were all inmates on work release and so i'm fixing the computers that are running the machines and then the prison bus rolls up and they all line up to get on the prison bus and i've been working side by side with these guys all day and at no point did i know and they're just regular people a lot of them yep they weren't going to attack me because well this is how they get out of their jail cell they get to get out and go work somewhere so they're not going to screw that up yeah, you get that little adrenaline rush and then you, your frontal lobes kick in and go, but hang on a minute, I've been safe. You know? Yeah, I've been here all day with them. You know, That's right. I was just going to say that when he did pass away or as he was dying, I was raised, as I said before, I went to Catholic girls' school for 13 years. Ugh. So I was raised a Catholic. I'm full-blown atheist now. But um, <laughs> yeah, And my dad was still a church-going man, went to church every Saturday and we were hoping that he wasn't scared that he was going to go to hell mm-hmm. because of what he'd done and my sister and I even though we, we are as I said not church going people or religious people anymore just had that moment of a twinge of oh yeah no no don't think about it <laughs> it's it's all it was. yeah that was sort of a sad part of it too that I just I just hoped that he wasn't that wasn't on his mind as he was passing. Yeah, that um, that Catholic guilt kind of thing. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's, it's a real thing. I, I have a lot oh, of friends God, that are yeah. Catholic. <laughs> yeah, and mm-hmm. I I hope that anyone that has that sort of a belief, they know that it's it's between them and God. If that's, that's what right. they believe, yep. it's... this is just my opinion and yeah. my thoughts. Yeah. Yes, each to their own. Yeah. It's an interesting question, too, about when it comes to disclosing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you, when do you, like I was meeting potential partners or getting into relationships and things like that, when they ask about your family, do you sort of go, oh, yeah, well, you know, my dad is a criminal and spent some time in jail. <laughs> How do you, because, you know, I mean, you have to, because everyone wants to know about your dad and they'll come to a family do with my mum sitting there talking about him and stuff, so... um or when you hear people making jokes about going to jail or, or making comments, like you say, those quite judgmental comments about mm-hmm. people who are on trial, that sort of thing, and you're sort of like, ah, do I jump in here? Am I like, because I'm so, I guess, biased in one direction. So in one way, I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever, go to jail, experience that in my family. And then the other side, I'm like, eh, maybe other people aren't so okay with it. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's one of those things where I think it, if it comes up naturally and if somebody knows you and respects you, then it's okay. But it, I guess it is a good litmus test for somebody to tell mm. them 
and then see how or, they respond. <laughs> yeah, or even when, like when you start a new job and you're meeting your, you know, your colleagues, and they, they say, "So, have you got family? Or do they live close by? Or are they?" Yeah. You know, so yeah, well, you know, my mum and dad separated when I was this age, and and eventually something comes up about a law trial or or jail or something, yeah. and yeah, you sort of just think, oh, um, uh, maybe I don't know. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, people ask me, hey, do you have any brothers and sisters? Well, mm. I, I had a brother. He passed away in 04 from drugs and, and whatnot. You know, mm. and it's one of those things where uh, most of the time when I talk to people about it, I just don't mention it unless I'm asked directly. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not really... None of their business. Yeah, it's, it's nobody's business, really, unless I want to share that with them. Mm. Also... This is just my own pet peeve. My brother's been passed away for over a decade. And when yeah. I, when I say it and then somebody's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, no, just, just, it's okay. It's, you know, it's mm. just is what it is. And I don't need sympathy for it or anything like that. I just, it's a fact of life now. And, and, uh, I do have sympathy now for mental illness and drug addiction because yes. I had to learn the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is, oh, I don't want to make people feel awkward, Yeah. which I guess a lot of the time people would, because like you said, most people don't have to think about having a family member who's been in jail or had addiction issues and those sorts of things. So I think, you know, when people say things like, I'm so sorry, or I think that's just a social convention because they don't really know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so I think they're just trying to say something, you know, take their turn in conversation and say something maybe supportive, but it's like they they're never going to know what it's what it's like. People won't know if I feel if I'm going to burst into tears and start sobbing about my father or if I'm going to make a joke about it. Like you can't pick how someone's going to react. So yeah, exactly. They probably just play it safe. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're exactly right. I don't want other people to feel uncomfortable. That's the one mm. thing that I try to do in life is make everyone feel at ease around me. And so bringing up something so raw and and crazy like that, it's it's just not appropriate unless we're talking about that kind of a topic and then, yeah, yeah. And then it, you know, you can work it in because you're already talking about something like that. <laughs> Still here. I am leading a good life. I've got a nice house and two cats and a PhD and a pool and uh, uh, married. Again, I've got uh, family members who have got mental health issues, mm -hmm. but I think that's more biological than related to what happened. I think they'd have them regardless of whether um, my mum and dad were still happily married in the suburbs with a white picket fence. I don't feel like, oh God, I was going to say, I don't feel like I've triumphed over it or anything like that. It's just like you say, it just happens and some people have happy families and some don't and yeah. some people do very well for themselves and some don't. And yes, there are environmental factors that definitely pay, play a huge part in that, but um I guess I've been lucky that I've fallen on my feet and I've worked hard for things that I've achieved and yeah, it's just part of who you are. <laughs> yeah, it's and that's why you are who you are and and exactly. if, you wouldn't be the same person if it was any different. Mm. No, it's mm. I don't feel like I've triumphed over anything with my life and some people look at my childhood or, you know, my story and they mm. think, "Oh my gosh, you've accomplished so much now." And you've turned your life around and 
And I think I didn't really turn anything around. I just no, just on. kept going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't yeah. like I'm going away from drugs and alcohol and gonna do a great job. It was just one day. That's not really what I was into anymore. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, you have a great day, and thank you so much. For, you too. For Say hi to Aaron for me. I will. I definitely ask will. him how he's doing tonight. <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> All right, Emma, you have a great one. Thanks, Emma. Next up is Rose. The story's a lot more disturbing, so just a little bit of warning that it does cover some topics with voyeurism and abuse. I'm Rose. I live in the Northwest right now. I grew up, I was born in California, and then I was raised in the Southwest. Like, growing up was kind of, I mean, it was, I had a really normal life, but I also have a lot of um, mental problems that would come up when I was a teenager, and so I kind of distanced myself from my family, and I had to, I felt like I like a typical teenager, like I had to move out when I was 18, and I did. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Arizona when I was 19, and then I moved with a boyfriend, and so he that didn't really work out, and so I moved back home. And it was kind of funny, actually, because when I called my mom to have her pick me up from Arizona, she was like, oh, okay, yeah, that works, because we're moving to Texas in four days. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess that does work out. <laughs> well, my dad bought an RV in Ohio and our truck kept breaking down the whole way there. And so on the way, like, we're like, okay, well, this, this is probably going to be the last time that we're breaking down. We have to stay here. Well, we finally made it to Ohio and uh, my dad got the RV and we lived in a campground for a while because the truck did finally just collapse. Like as soon as we got here. So my parents were, looking around at houses and they found one, but I have three younger brothers. And so they had to go to school and they didn't have any of the papers. All our papers and important documents were left in New Mexico because we thought we would just, you know, go the next state over and pick them up before the school year began. That just didn't end up working out. So my parents still had their house in, in New Mexico. And so my mom took the boys to go to school there and I was left alone with my dad. Finally, we bought a house, and so it was just me and him living there. And things were going okay at first, but then he started getting, like, real creepy and saying real inappropriate things to me. Like, he would ask me how attractive I thought that he was and what kind of clothes he should wear to make himself more attractive. And I'm like, you know, you're my dad. I don't really... I don't really know. I'm only used to seeing you in like a polo shirt and jeans. And plus he's, he's still married to your mom. So yeah, he's still married to my mom. So it's not like he's going out on dates and stuff. There's no real appropriate context for this. Right. So it was just a bunch of weird stuff like that. And then he would, he would want like back rubs all the time and he would want to rub my shoulders all the time, which that, never happened before like I wasn't I haven't been close to him since I was like eight but I just figured you know it was it was from me moving back in and he wanted you know things were going good like we wanted to have a 
a normal father-daughter relationship. It all started just kind of going downhill the more time that we were alone. And I got an internship with him at an office, and I noticed him flirting with other girls because he got he got a job out there and so he got me an internship Mm -hmm. but he would be flirting with the girls out there and I thought you know it's kind of normal you know that's typical like guy stuff you know I'm pretty flirty with guys and I didn't think it was totally inappropriate but still it was a little weird well I mean how old is he um, and how old are these in the office they were in their 30s or 40s and he was 50 at the time so I mean a little bit younger but Mm -hmm. my mom was probably like 45 so it was kind of you know it was an appropriate age for him mm-hmm. then he would still he would still be creepy and so you know I thought he was asking about the other women like in the office how to make himself more attractive to them because I didn't realize at the time that he was really asking what I wanted and that wouldn't come out until later on and I'll get to that and so one of the things that my mom noticed because my mom started noticing at him acting weird when she would talk to him on the phone and we went out to a goodwill me and my dad and he I went to the dressing room to try on something and he was on the phone with my mom and I guess he was freaking out because he didn't know where I was and so he was like running around the store and running around the parking lot until he found me and then he got off the phone with my mom and my mom called later that night and she, she was like so what the heck happened at the goodwill you know you were like were you gone for a long time? He was he was looking frantically for you. And I was like, I was in the dressing room for 10 minutes. And she was like, well, that's really weird because you're an adult. I thought it was weird because I swear it was only a 10 minute gap. And for him to act like that is kind of strange. <laughs> but, you know, it still didn't really put a whole lot on it. I just took it with a grain of salt. So, yeah, because what are you supposed to think? Yeah. I mean, he he's overreacting because he can't find you. Maybe he's just overprotective. You know, and I can kind of get it. It's still weird because I'm an adult and, like, he'd never done that before. You know, he lost me in a mall when I was 15 and that apparently wasn't as such of a big a deal as this was. Mm-hmm. So my mom and my brothers came back around Christmas that year I think this was 2014. Yeah, it was 2014. So they came back and he just was not getting along with my mom at all. And he would want to hang out with me more than he would want to hang out with her. And my mom thought he was cheating on her, which it turned out that he was. He was sleeping with another woman and how I don't know. Well, I guess I was out of the house a lot because I started making friends. Mm -hmm. But he was also sleeping with a girl in the office. And so, you know, he was cheating on her. And so she had good reason to think it, but she was going through the house and, you know, through his phone records and stuff like that, trying to find more clues, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I was working at Subway at the time and I got a call one day in August and my mom says, you need to come home. And I'm like, I'm at work. I can't really, you know, I'm the only one here right now. I can't really do that. And so she was like, okay, well, when you get home, it's kind of an emergency. Like we really need to talk. Mm -hmm. And so I had to finish out the rest of the four hours of my shift wondering what was going on because she would not elaborate on it. Oh God. And yeah, that's the worst. And so, (laughs) 
Yeah, it was really scary. I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? Is my, you know, is one of my brothers hurt? Is she hurt? Did someone die? (laughs) What's going on? And so I get home and my mom is crying as soon as I walk in the door. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? (laughs) And my brothers, they just come and hug me and nobody is still telling me what's going on. So at this point, I'm really freaking out. And my mom is like, baby, I'm so sorry. And I don't know what to do. And I really want your opinion on something. And it has to do with your dad. Mm -hmm. And I need to know if you want to call the police or not. And so I'm like, well, you kind of need to tell me the situation before I say don't call the police on my dad. So it turns out that she had my brothers looking around the house for, you know, love notes or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And there was a, my dad worked in IT, so he's really good with computers and um, electronics and stuff like that. And there was a flash drive hidden in a box. My mom plugged it into the computer and there was a document on there, almost like a journal entry. Well, I think he wanted to write a book because he had a title page and it was very formatted like a novel. Okay. Or like a memoir, mm-hmm. talking about how he started growing an attraction for me while we were moved out here. So this had been going on for about six months. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, that's not all. And my oldest brother had turned on the TV in his room, and all that was there was our bathroom. And so I'm like, I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand. I'm like, how is our bathroom on the TV right now? You know, just not thinking because that's not what you would expect. And my mom said he had planted a camera in there and he was watching me shower and he was writing down all the things that like he wanted to do to me and how he had made a peephole in the walls of the bathroom and then that wasn't enough anymore. And so that's when he bought a little recorder camera and installed it and was watching me from there. And that's about when what felt like my world shattering because I didn't know what to do. I'm like, this is my biological father. This isn't supposed to happen. Why, why is this happening? You know, all that um, what, I mean, this is your whole world being torn apart. This isn't something that he made a mistake. He said something or did something he would regret later. This is something he planned, something he set up. And it took methodical planning to do this. Exactly. And the fact that it had been so ongoing... You know, there's a difference between walking in when I'm undressing and saying, oh, sorry, and, like, that being a mistake. And, and like you said, this has been planned out and acted upon for months. And so, I'm, you know, it was really hard because I felt like I couldn't trust anybody anymore. This is my family. And if you can't trust your family, who can you? Exactly. At the time, I didn't know what to do. And it took me like half an hour to actually calm down because I just, I started crying and I, I, I think I had a panic attack. And so I took, my mom is like, well, do you want to call the police? And I'm like, 
yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to live with him after this. Are you Are you nuts? Like, what else am I supposed to do? What else are we going to do? You're just going to live with a dad who's attracted to me? What? <laughs> yeah. So she called the police. He was at work at the time, and um, they planned it out. So they were inside the house with us, and their car was parked around the street, so he wouldn't think anything when he came home. So he walked in the house, and... They arrested him right there on the spot because they had enough evidence. You know, they had seen the camera and seen the the document. Mm -hmm. And I didn't read all that was in the document, so I can't elaborate on what all he wrote. I just kind of skimmed over it. I didn't want to read it all, but I know it was just basically what he saw. It's probably better that you didn't read it. I don't know what good would have come out of it. You you already were hurt enough and and betrayed enough. I don't, I don't think you need the, the details of what was going on in his head. Yeah. That's how I felt. Yeah. yeah. So the police are waiting there at the home. He walks in and they just immediately place him in handcuffs. Yeah. They, they placed him in handcuffs. They put him in the car. He didn't look confused or anything. He looked like he knew this was coming. Oh. I figured by the time that the trial came around, he would just plead guilty and that would be it. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't exactly know how that was going to play out either because I didn't know what kind of a charge you could get for that. Well, yeah, and, you've never been involved in anything like this. You've never gone to trial. You've never had to press charges or anything. I mean, this is all new, you know? Exactly. And so they were, my mom was preparing me for what was to come, but she couldn't because she didn't even know. I, I he ended up getting charged with um, voyeurism, and I'd never heard the term before that. Like, I, I know what a peeping Tom is, but I didn't know you could get in trouble for it, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Well, hell yeah, you can get in and trouble so, for it, and, and you should get in trouble for it, and it's disgusting, and it is something that needs to be charged and punished for and i'm glad that they took it seriously oh me too me too definitely especially since you know we're in a town where nobody knows us i was mostly afraid for my image after this because i thought oh my gosh like the newspapers are going to have this all over i'm going to be known as the kid who was raped by daddy or something you know what i mean i was like i don't know how i can live with this But they, they took it seriously, and there was only a couple articles written about it, and they were very respectful in not giving out our full house address. They just said the town and the road. And so I was, I was very thankful for everyone on that. When the officers that arrested my dad, he actually, uh, my current boyfriend and him went to school together, and so he's always kind of watched out for me after that. I actually have a funny story because after the course and everything, my dad ended up giving me his car. I didn't have to talk to him. My mom said, here's the car keys. He's giving it to you. He feels bad for what happened. And so I was driving from the house that I moved to and uh, the arresting officer recognized the car and I almost got pulled over, but he called my boyfriend first to, to ask if there was a reason my dad should be at the house. And he's like, oh no, that's actually Rose. I was very happy to know that I was protected because he ended up pulling my dad over in his new car near our house. And that's something I'll get into later, too. Yeah. So you go to trial. Yeah. So the trial, he 
was charged with voyeurism and he pleaded no contest. And and I'm sorry, but you probably know this better than I do because I didn't understand it when it was going on. And I still kind of don't understand it. There was no trial by jury, and it was just it was just him and the judge, pretty much, and the prosecutor and him. And I, what is no contest? No contest means you're not pleading guilty but you don't stand a chance. <laughs> so you're just going to plead no contest okay. and take mercy on me is, is the layman's term nutshell is what that is. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And with the no contest plea, you're not going to get a jury because they're, it's kind of a non plea. So you're saying you can find me guilty or innocent, whatever. And it's just up to the judge to weigh the evidence at that point. Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Because yeah. <laughs> I was, I was real confused on why there wasn't a jury. I'd only ever seen court cases, you know, on TV, you know, Law and Order, and there's always a jury there. Yeah, <laughs> um, you can ask for a a jury trial, or you can ask for a judge trial, and and there is a lot of cases where you can just say, "Hey, judge, I'm in your hands," and there's no jury. And in fact, uh, the next Gen Y case we're doing, that's exactly what the guy does: is ask for the judge to consider the evidence. It's kind of weird, but it's a strategy. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So. Cool. I'll be looking out for that episode then. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, what happened to your dad? So he pleaded no contest, and the judge went over all the evidence, and I had to write yeah. I had to write out a victim, victim statement with the prosecutor because I didn't want to stand and, and look at him during the trial. Like, I was in there, but I didn't want to, like, actually see him. Mm-hmm. So I basically said, you ruined my life and all this other stuff. And the judge asked him, well, he didn't ask him. He told him straight up. He's like, all the evidence says that you did this and you pretty much did all but sign your name on the papers and your prints were on the camera. There's no way you can really excuse yourself out of this. And so my dad said, he didn't try to say that he was innocent, but he said, oh, well, I stopped looking at those videos weeks ago. So, you know, I learned my lesson. And (laughs) the judge just looked at him and he's like, you're not showing any remorse for what you did. You realize that's your own flesh and blood. And he was like, he didn't, my dad didn't say anything. And so the judge ended up, he charged him. However, since it was a, when I, it wasn't when I was a minor, he couldn't get charged with a more serious offense. So he got a misdemeanor pretty much. Mm-hmm. And he was sentenced to two years in jail, some community service. He wasn't allowed to look up pornographic websites, which, you know, I'm not sure how they could exactly stop him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, I don't get how they can say that in the court because he's just going to, you know, do it anyway. He wasn't allowed that. He wasn't allowed to talk to me until the, you know, after the two years were up. I think it was just basic, like, no, no contact. Yeah. yeah. And he had to put be put on the sex registry. Okay. So you got two years behind bars, community service, and put on these uh, sexual uh, uh, sex offender registry. Pretty mm-hmm. okay. That doesn't seem like very much at all. No, it 
it definitely wasn't. And it still doesn't feel like it's enough, but I guess that's why, you know, all victims just feel like justice is never really served. But at the same time, like, I know that the judge was looking in, in my best interest mm-hmm. because he he tried to hit him as hard as he could. He really did. He might have given him the max sentence that he could. I think he did. I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Which I don't. I feel like if you're doing something to a family member, you should get it a little harder too, because that's incestuous and that's really frowned upon. But that's just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so he only served a few months in jail, and then he. I I know he had to go to court for something else, and I was pretty numb by this point, and so I just never paid attention after the first court date and. So I think he served out a couple more months of jail and then he got out on parole and I didn't have any contact with him. So he only served a few months. Yes. And they let him out on Um, good behavior or some shit. (laughs) I think it was just a regular parole, but I'm not too sure. And I, I mean, I could probably go look it up, but I don't exactly know, you know, all the, red tape behind what happened so it might have been good behavior because he's he's a really skinny scrawny nerdy guy so i'm sure he couldn't get into any fights Mm -hmm. without you know getting seriously harmed so he was probably as good as he could have been god that just seems ridiculous for what he did and again it's the inconsistencies of of sentences and punishment here that just blow me away when you found out he was being released, what was your reaction to that? I was scared. I was honestly terrified because I didn't know if he was going to, because, you know, he's my dad. And so I feel like I'm obligated to talk to him. And I didn't really want that. And I feel like he would try to make me do things that I didn't want to do just forgive and forget, like, oh, I, I already said in court, like, I stopped looking at those videos weeks ago, so, you know, yeah. we should be cool now, be Sam, but thankfully that did and didn't happen, because he slipped up on his um, no-contact order. Mm-hmm. He stalked me at my boyfriend's business and left a note on my car, and then he tried to contact me through mail and Facebook. And so I contacted the judge and I said, hey, this is going on. You know, is there anything you can do? Like, can he be put back in jail or can I can I move and have it so he can't find me? Stuff like that. And so I think he did go back to jail for a couple a couple of weeks or a couple more months. I'm not sure. And I didn't have anything to do with those trials or or anything like that my mom did so I kind of heard second hand on when he was in and out it's weird that you were afraid that he would try to just get back into your life try to apologize forgive and forget whereas me I'm thinking I would be afraid that he would be angry that he had been put in prison and now he's coming after me for doing that to him or something to that effect you know I have well, like... this, <laughs> the one solstice that I have is that my dad is a wimp mm-hmm. and I knew that he, he just wouldn't be able to do anything like that. Okay. Well, I, I'm sure, you know, everybody has their breaking point. And so 
that's unfair of me to say he probably could, but I was counting on him not getting angry. Yeah. So what's the story with your dad getting pulled over by your, your boyfriend's friend? Oh, yeah. So after the incident of, of me leaving my house, he, um, since you have to register, you know, your address and your car li- license plate on the registry every time it changes, which what I've heard from what I've heard, he actually hasn't done. It's a little scary because I didn't, never know if he's like, you know, still following me around now. And it's been a couple of years, but at the time he was. And so they, um, they just kept a lookout because my boyfriend's uh, friend, his mom lived in the neighborhood too. And so he would patrol around our neighborhood to check on me and check on his mom. Mm-hmm. And so he found my dad in the neighborhood and, pulled him over and so from what I heard you know he was just like oh I'm visiting a friend or this and that and pretty much the cop just telling him you know you're not visiting a friend I know what you're trying to do you need to leave so it was it was nice knowing that there was someone there for me mm-hmm. it's it's so creepy I, I I can't even imagine I'm just appalled and, and sorry as hell that that you had to go through that Hell, I, I write my family members off for like way less offenses <laughs> and I don't talk to them, <laughs> you know, I'm like, eh, I'm not talking to you anymore just because of, you know, some bullshit. And meanwhile, you, <laughs> you don't need to talk to him ever again. You don't need to forgive or give him any bit of your time. I mean, you can forgive him in your own heart if you like, but you don't ever have to give him that satisfaction. You don't ever have to talk to him. Right. That's kind of how I feel. And and I have a daughter now and she's definitely never, it's sad because she's never going to get to, to meet her grandpa. But at the same time, like I'm not, you know, I wouldn't want anything to happen to her mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Yeah. But after he got out of jail, I was working at a Taco Bell and he was in the restaurant and I had a breakdown at work. And I'm like, I can't be in the restaurant right now. I need to go to the back and hide for a couple minutes. And I told my manager, I was like, you know, I'm trying to get a restraining order against him because after he got out, that's when I um, thought I needed the restraining order because I thought he knew that I worked there and he was talking to me. Mm-hmm. But I think he was just getting food. But he would keep coming, so I'm not sure. So I tried, I went to the courthouse and I tried to get a restraining order and the judge said that she would grant me one, but he has to, you know, they have to have a meeting in both parties. They have to be there for some reason. He kept putting that off. And so I would meet with his lawyer and he would sign a paper saying, Oh, we can't do this this week. So I'm not really sure how that, how that goes. I'm at the time I was just like, Oh, okay. And so this went on for a couple of months and I finally gave up. That's bullshit. <laughs> you, you should be able to get a restraining order and then have a police officer serve them with the restraining order and you not even have to deal with it. If you have enough proof and evidence and, in a paper trail of this is why I need this. And you shouldn't have to have to face off with that person for it. And also the thing that sucks about restraining orders is you have to say where you live and where you work in order for them to stay away from you. So you actually have to expose yourself more sometimes to the attacker, to the predator. And it's kind of a double edged sword there. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know that. I didn't even get that far with it because, yeah. you know, it get, kept getting put off. I just, 
I did think it was weird, though. I was like, you know, why is this lawyer making me sign this paper saying that I have to come back in a couple of weeks when he's ready? Like, I'm ready now. I want it. Yeah. So I gave that up, and he kept coming to the place where I worked. Eventually, I just I quit that job. I got another job, and it seemed like it stopped. But then I was told by my mom that he wasn't registering his new apartment. He was living back in our town with another girl. And the scary thing about that was the lady he was dating at the time had a daughter that was my age. And so my mom had wrote to her and said, you know, you need to be careful because I don't want anything happening to you or your daughter. And she just basically said, you know, screw you. This is my boyfriend. I don't care if you're jealous or whatever. And so I have no clue. I can just only hope that nothing's going on with their family. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just that he can't find where you are or track you down. It's it's kind of stopped me from going out. Like, I have to go, if I want to go check out a book, I have to go to the library in the next town over because I'm afraid he's going to, he loves the library, and so do I. And so I'm like, ah, oh, I can't go there because he's probably going to be there. And, you know, certain stores I feel like I can't go to, so I go to a different town for my shopping and all that. Uh, I'm glad you're you're thinking that far ahead and keeping safe. I mean, it sucks that you're having to modify your lifestyle to accommodate not being around somebody. And that's, seems unfair to me, but so what, is there any, any other points that you had? Not necessarily from, from what happened at the time, but I did kind of want to put a note on my, like how my life is now, because now I have, a two-year-old and at the time because I, I got pregnant almost immediately after he got out of jail and I, I was thinking you know well I don't trust my boyfriend now I don't trust him because what if something happens and and he goes crazy and he hurts our daughter and so Aww. it's kind of affected me in that way because I'm always on edge that something's gonna go wrong mm-hmm. and like, I'm kind of not close with my daughter because I don't want to, I don't want to get too close. And, you know, it happened with him. So what if, what if one day I go crazy? You know what I mean? Like serial killers' daughters always wonder if they're going to go and do something. And so now I'm worried that one day I might do something to, to my family and it terrifies me and I know that's irrational and I know that like that's not genetic but at the same time it's just a huge worry and I I panic and I have you know post-traumatic stress disorder from this I was talking to my therapist and she said that I probably have that and like I have a couple other mental disorders that were diagnosed when I was a teenager and so I'm worried that those will get worse I'm trying and it's a lot better now because it's been a couple of years, but it's always in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I know that it is an irrational thought, but that is the, the cycle of abuse. Those are normal thoughts. And I've heard other people say that like, uh, you know, my, my father or my, you know, boyfriend did this and now, I'm cautious around my own children because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt them the way I was hurt. It does make sense because you never want, you're, you're so protective of your child that you're 
you're even going so far as to protect the child from yourself because you're just wanting them to not ever have to go through what you went through. No, it, it makes sense. Like that's that's exactly how I feel. Yeah. You're you're seeing a therapist. You're you're doing better. You you are raising your your child, and you know it's just you're doing the right thing. You're doing much better. And just talking to you, I can tell that you're you you seem pretty level headed. You seem like this happened, and this is what I'm doing, and you have a plan. Which, hey, I don't. I barely have a plan in my day. So it sounds like you got a better plan than I do. <laughs> so you know. Thank you. That means a lot. You're already halfway there, you know? I am. It's it's hard, but I know ultimately that I can't let everything stop my life and stop the way I do things and stop me from, from trying to love my child. And I don't worry that my boyfriend's going to do anything anymore because I know he's always been there for me and he's a great dad. Like, he's an amazing dad, for sure. He's always with her and teaching her stuff. And so I'm feeling better about it. Thank you everyone for tuning in. My next episode is going to be about postpartum. It was supposed to be this episode, but I ran into a lot of trouble with Skype and the interviews and I ended up redoing one of the interviews. So thank you for being patient and I'm trying to get back to people as fast as humanly possible when it comes to your emails and messages that you guys write in. Erica is also helping reply to a lot of these. Thank you so much, Erica. I just got back from our St. Paul meetup. It was a huge turnout and it felt like the shortest meetup I ever had because everyone just was there and then got their picture taken and then left uh, Aaron and I ended up hanging out at the bar for another two hours afterwards so <laughs> for the few that stayed with us it was awesome hanging out just a heads up for all my patrons on Patreon you guys are awesome and uh, you are the foundation of this show you are what keeps the show going so thank you so much hope to have some special episodes out for my patreon members only so look forward to that and thank you everyone for listening Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.